Ah, you gotta love awkward stage hugs. Well, thank you very, very much. Um, I really appreciate this. And yeah, a year ago, um, the board came up to us and they're like, you know, we think you need to take some time off and they didn't want to make it sound awkward, but uh, so we really appreciate this. And so uh, I need to dive into this because we only have a few minutes left. And uh, I think that um, this time away is going to be wonderful for us. I just want you to know as a church, we are leaving um, well. We are not overly tired. We are not, um, you know, spiritually in a hole. And so I think we will be able to take the sabbatical and immediately um, be re-energized in a deeper way than if we were in deep um, uh, uh, trouble or anything like that. But we will be taking a lot of time to spend together as a family, and so we would appreciate your prayers. So guys, uh, we want to talk today kind of as a, I feel a little bit almost like a dad kind of giving some last words and to some people. I'm not going to really see you, especially from this position, for three months. And I want to talk to us this morning about embracing your call. And God has given you and I each a call. And if you've given your life to Jesus, you and I have a call on our lives. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, well, guess what? The Holy Spirit has put a call on you to give your life to Jesus. You just need to be obedient and do it. And so this morning, I want to talk to us. I want to share a little story with you. And it's going to take a bit of space because in the sermon, but I want you to understand the story and where I'm coming from and, and what God has done in my life. And I trust that as I share this story with you, that maybe for some of you, this is going to give some clarity for you. Um, I have been in this church for a long, long time, and I know I've shared parts of this story before, so I'm not going to give as much detail as in the past. But when I was younger, much younger, uh, I made sure that I got myself into as much trouble as I possibly could. Um, there was, especially in my teenage years, I was very rebellious and I pushed away from God. I pushed away from my parents. I pushed away from the church. And I basically claimed that I hated everyone and everything, especially the church and God. But I know that the truth is that what I really hated was mo mostly was myself. And so this caused a lot of concern and I lived a very destructive lifestyle. And, you know, and, and, you know this was causing a lot of pain in the people around me, but to keep all that short, I found myself finally in a place where the only thing I could think to do was to take my life. And God obviously had a different plan. And so God, you know, worked in me and worked in me and people were praying and finally on April 1st, 1993, I gave my life to Jesus. And I want you to know, those of you that are maybe new to Christ or maybe some of you are considering giving your life to Christ, I'm the kind of example for you that when you give your life to Jesus, you are not instantly completely changed. I left, you know, I, I left a lot of baggage behind, but there was still a lot of rough edges around me. My, my salvation was instantly secured, but there's a sanctification that needs to be done in individuals, and that takes time. And so I still had a lot of rough edges, and my family obviously had to work with this, and I'd come to church, and, and my vocabulary and all those kind of things needed a lot of work, but people were very gracious. And so I was invited to come to this church's um, camp. And so they had a big camp. They were going way up north, and it was about a five-hour bus drive. And so here I am, a very new Christian on this bus with a bunch of people who have been Christians for a long time and, and you know, and other things uh, were going on there. But my motive wasn't, re I wasn't really sure what I was getting into, but I was excited to go. And what I thought was really cool that the pastor of this church at that time was also going to be the speaker at camp. Now, I had met this guy, you know, I didn't know him really well because I didn't really go to church much, but I had met this guy in, 1990, in 1983 when we first came to Canada. He was part of a quartet, 
Now you got to understand, that wasn't exactly my genre of music when I was a teenager. Heavy metal and quartet music didn't exactly blend that well together. But here's what I knew when I saw this guy. I said, you know what, this man has a vinyl out. He has a vinyl out. And anybody that has a vinyl record out is a hipster. Amen? No, okay, fine, you're not a hipster. But I believe that, I, I was like, man, this guy's got a vinyl record out. Man, you should have seen, I wish I had a picture of the cover of that. It was beauty, you know. And so here I see this guy, and I'm like, he's, this is so cool. He's going to be our speaker at camp. And I thought it was pretty cool that he was going to be there. And so we, we had this long bus ride, and I will never forget, I, we got to camp, and when I got out of the bus, this guy walks up to me, and, he, you know, he knew my parents, and he knew my family a little bit, but he walks up to me, and I quote, he says to me, I quote, you are going to be a pastor one day. And I will never forget that because it, it, it stirred something in me that had never been stirred before that maybe there was more to my life than just being a Christian. That God actually wanted something more from me. He had a plan for me. But I forgot all of that pretty quickly because by now my eyes had been opened to the fact that there were girls on this trip. And I determined to make as big of a fool of myself as possible in order to win some of these lovely ladies over. And I was very, very good at making a fool of myself. But after a couple of days at camp, uh, me being a very new Christian in the sessions and all that stuff, you know, uh, I was really, really beginning to get frustrated and angry again. And, and so I stole a canoe or I borrowed a canoe and I got in this canoe and I paddled as far away from camp as I possibly could. And there I got on this rock, and you've heard me share this story before, and, and I'm sitting on this rock, and all of a sudden, just this incredible sense of the presence of God came over me. And it was at this moment that God really began to work in my life and to say, Ike, I want to do something in you. I had no idea what that meant. I had no idea even how to really wrestle with this. You know, I didn't understand. I'd never really sensed the presence of the Holy Spirit on me like this, but I wrestled with God because I'm like, I have all this baggage. I have all this junk in my life. I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do with all of this. And God just worked in my heart that day and said, I want to do a work in you. So I came back to camp. I'm exhausted from this encounter that I had with God. I came back to camp and you know, and I quickly went to my cabin. I just wanted to get some sleep. And, uh, you know, someone came and woke me up. And they're like, you can't sleep. You know, the leaders of the camp want to kill you because you're missing session. You've got to come to session because I think all these leaders were just about done with me already at camp. And so I dragged myself over to the session. And I don't have a clue what the pastor said at this session. All I know is that I began to sob uncontrollably. And Bill Giesbrecht, he's the most handsome man in the church. You can't miss him. Uh, he was there, and so I think Bill didn't know what to do either, and so he finally ushered me out of that room, and they brought me into this back room, and, and long story short, they're praying with me, and all of a sudden, the pastor that's speaking at the camp, he's in the room, and he's asking, you know, what's going on, and I had no idea. I just knew that God was speaking to me, and I didn't know what to do with it. Now, I'll fast forward a long way. I'm now in Steinbeck Bible College, and I had the opportunity to do my internship at a small church in Neverville, Manitoba. Now, I have no idea how that uh, town got their name, but I'm guessing some Mennonites named that thing because I'm guessing there's a group of people sitting down going, you know, what are we going to name this uh, town? And, and a couple of Mennonites walk by and, and they're talking to each other and they're like, what are those guys doing? And oh, they're trying to come up with a name for the town. Ah, they Neverville. 
That's my guess is why we are calling it Neverville to this day. But uh, anyway, I had the opportunity to do an interim at that ch uh, church. And guess who the guy was leading that church at that time? It was the exact same pastor. And this man was tremendous influence. His wife and the church, a tremendous influence in me. And they let me in, and this guy would be pretty rough on me. He'd always say, why do you always walk so far ahead of your, you know, my girlfriend at that time, Maria? Why do you always walk so far ahead of her? You know, you, you, know, you got to walk beside her and things like that. He was pretty hard on me. And Maria and I were so absolutely honored that on our wedding day, um, this man came and he prayed a prayer of dedication over our marriage, and he prayed a prayer of dedication over our ministry in Leamington. And what a special thing to have um, him do that on our wedding day, and what a special thing to have him sitting here today in church. And thank you, John Bergman, for what you've done in my life, and so why don't we give him a, a hand and his wife. God does amazing things through other people, and God calls each one of us in, in different ways, and this morning I want to talk to us a little bit about your call. The call that God has placed on your life. And let's go through this really quick by looking at the book of Jonah. Because Jonah is what we call a reluctant prophet. Jonah was a man who very clearly had a call of God on his life. But man, this guy really didn't get it. Jonah chapter 1 verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Here's a man who's a prophet. And when you listen to this, I wonder if any of you in this room at this moment would say, we have no idea what Jonah's supposed to do. Every single one of us in this room, there it is. Go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it. But look at what Jonah does, verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship um, bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. This is a prophet of God. This is a prophet who knows that he serves an omnipresent God. This is a prophet who knows that he serves an all-knowing God. Here's a prophet who knows that his very calling in life is to be the word of the Lord to the people. What well, God speaks to him and he is supposed to go speak to the people. And yet this very man thinks that he can get in a boat and take off. And you know the story, and if you don't, let me quickly tell you. God sends a huge storm. And so this boat gets roughed up really bad, and, and things are going really hard. And the only people on that boat who you would think would have no clue about praying are the ones who are praying, and that's the sailors. These very, very, you know, uh, far from God people, they're the ones praying, and they find Jonah, and they're figuring out what's going on. And it doesn't take very long for them to figure out, this is all Jonah's fault. And verse 10 tells us that this terrified them. And they asked, look at this question, what have you done? Now you got to understand, they're not asking in the sense of saying, what did you do? I think they're asking more in the sense of saying, what were you thinking? You're, you're a servant, you're a prophet of God. What have you done? What, what in the world were you thinking that you could run from your God? And so Jonah comes up with this plan. And they try really hard to, you know, to um, you know, get things working so that the boat could stay afloat. But here, Jonah comes up with this a plan. He says, throw me overboard. Now, I, I really believe that that wasn't an act of compassion. That was Jonah wanting to commit suicide. Jonah would rather die than go and do what God had called him to do. And he's like, throw me overboard. 
get rid of me. But the people are like, no, we're going to do our best. But finally they realize the only way they are going to keep this ship from sinking is to throw Jonah overboard. So they pick him up and they throw him overboard. And this is where the story gets crazy. If you're not, you know, if you're new to church and you're unfamiliar with the Bible, you're going to be like, whoa, what's all this about? But you've probably heard this story. God sends a huge fish, swallows Jonah up, vomits him back out on the shore, and God says to him again, go to Nineveh. Go to Nineveh. In verse chapter 3, verse 3, Jonah obeys, it says. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. He comes all this way, goes through this huge experience, this crazy, crazy experience, and the man can muster an eight-word sermon. Think about it for a moment. Eight words is all he could say to these people because it was as if though Jonah was doing everything he could to make sure that the people would not listen and would not respond but believe it or not the people did repent the people responded even the king repented and God when God saw the repentance he had compassion on them and did not destroy the city now remember we're focused on Jonah we could we could we could stop for a moment and think about the you know the miracle of an entire city coming to know Jesus or coming to know God or repenting of their sin based after an eight word sermon but the focus here is on Jonah you would think that a man who has done it it's you know said eight words and an entire city repents you would think this man would be ecstatic you would think, and I am writing down these eight words, and this is going to be a book, and we're going to sell, and we're going to do seminars, and we're going to teach people evangelism and missions, and we are going to do something with this, because this eight-word sermon, wow, check it out, the entire city has repented. But look at Jonah, chapter 4, verse 1. But Jonah, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. He just couldn't figure it out, and he became angry. Look at his prayer. Instead of God, thank you, thank you, thank you, the people have repented. Look at what he says. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to foretell for, uh, for, for stall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take my life. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord's reply to him is, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah at this moment still refuses to detach his emotions from what God has called him to do. Jonah at this moment still refuses to detach his emotions or his agenda and that is keeping him from fully doing what God has called him to do. Oh, he was somewhat obedient and went there, but you can tell his heart was not in the right place because he cannot remove his emotions, his agenda, from what God has called him to do. So this moment, I just want to bring this home. So all eyes up here for a moment because I think we've got to land this thing here now and really think about that. Are Christians doing the same thing today? Are you and I as Christians doing the same thing today? Are we unable to detach 
our emotions, our agenda, from what God has called us to do. I don't know about you, but I know Christians who profess to be followers of Jesus, who profess to have a relationship with Jesus, but their attitude towards others is anything like what Christ would have for them. I know Christians who would profess to be followers of Jesus, but man, anyone that has a different agenda, instead of having love for them and compassion for them, they would almost rather see them destroyed. Because when we are unable to detach our agenda and our motives and our goals and our you know, approach to life, we will never be able to fully fulfill the call of Jesus in our lives. See, when you gave your life to Jesus, you accepted His call on your life. When you gave your life to Jesus, you accepted the call that He placed on your life. Now you might say, I have no idea what the call of Jesus is on my life, and I'm sorry, I'm going to be blunt. That's baloney. That's baloney. When you gave your life to Jesus, you were giving your life to Jesus. You were giving your life to a Savior, to someone who said, love your enemy. You gave your life to someone who says, go and tell the world about me. Feed the poor. Feed the hungry. You know, care for those who are in prison. Look after those who are lonely. Visit those who are, you know, in prison and different things like that. Jesus gave us all of these instructions. And so when we gave our lives to Jesus, that's what we signed up for. Because God called us to do those things. And I think that the struggle for you and I will always be in embracing our call and embracing what Jesus has in store for us is that we will need to detach ourselves from what we want to do. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, you've heard these words many, many times. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is what we were called to do. So our theme for this year is for the sake of the world. So I want us to just mo um, stop for a moment and think about that theme and think about what that means for you and I in regards to this for the sake of the world. What are you and I willing to do? What are you and I willing to trust God with in order so that the people in our lives, the people that we work with, the people that we'll go to school with, the people that we live in neighborhoods together with, for their sake, are we willing to embrace the call of Jesus on our lives and say, I will go. I will talk to this person even though I disagree with their agenda. I will talk to this person. I will interact with this person. I will love this individual even though I know that their political agenda is so different than mine. I know that their spiritual religion or whatever it may be is very different than mine. But I will separate myself from all of that. And I will rather focus on embracing the call of Jesus on my life. So church, embrace your call. Embrace the call of Jesus on your life. Not necessarily always for yourself, but embrace it for those who do not have a relationship with Jesus. So I trust that over these next three months that I'll get to hear lots of stories of how Deer Run Church continues to go into this community, to love the people in this community, how Deer Run Church continues to love the people 
in this community, how Deer Run Church continues to serve and be generous. And as, they, as you go into this community and into the world, that God, with the call that God has placed on your life, that you would allow nothing to stand in the way of that. Let's pray. Father, I pray, as we have to wrap this up really quick, I pray, God, that we would be challenged here today. We would be challenged here this morning to take off those barriers and those things that may hinder us from opening our eyes and to seeing people around us the way you see them. I pray, God, that you would open our hearts this morning to love people the way you love them. I pray that we would never be like Jonah, where we would run from you and where we would try to get away from from doing the things that you have called us to do. Lord, I pray that we would embrace the call that you have placed on our lives this morning and that we would go and serve you with absolute compassion and passion for those around us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. See you soon.